right, let's see. We are live on Facebook. Let's make sure it's coming in. Welcome to chapel, everybody. Let's see. Let's make sure that they can hear us before we continue on here. We are live on All right. So thankful that everybody can join us today. We are going live with our chapel right now. This is our Chicago cohort. And I'm really excited. We're just gonna get right into it. I'm really excited to hear what our brother Jose Riesco has to share with us this morning. He is a deacon at Metro Praise. He's an alumni of SUM. He's also a pastoral intern right now. And I believe that he has a word from the Lord. So Jose, go ahead and open us up in prayer and take it over my brother. Thank you, sister. Thank you so much. Father, we thank you, for, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your son coming uh, in the flesh and dying on the cross for our sins and raising again. I pray that we would never forget that, God, but that we would use that to preach your word, to minister to the lost, especially during this time. God, use us in a mighty way. Speak to your people. We're listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to say really quick, such an honor to be here. Thank you, Lauren, you know, Pastor Joe, everyone who made this, uh, allowed me to do this, man. I'm so honored to be here. I don't remember the last time being this nervous to preach the word of God. And again, it's such an honor to be here and see my brother here, my younger brother. It just bring, brings me to tears, bro, and seeing your wife here and everyone here, but, but especially my, my, my younger brother and just believe in God for our sister. Amen. <laughs> so let that encourage everyone out here, man. Pray, preach the word of God, see your family and friends get saved. Come on. So we're going to get right into the word. Let's start and uh, do your best to keep up. Let's start in Jonah chapter two. This is a little word before the word right here. This is the Lord told me to give this little word here. Um, especially during this time, you see people doing this. It's like we have been stripped of all our idols. Lauren shared in a, in a prayer meeting how God has judged the nations. God has judged the nations and the idols of America. Education, business, job, money fame, uh, sports stars, and entertainment. God has judged the nations. God has judged the idols of America, just like he judged the idols of Egypt with the 10 plagues in Moses' time. But people are still doing this. People are still doing what Jonah said right here. Jonah 2, verse 8 says this. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love from them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. See, we're still praising God. We're still shouting praises to Jesus we just did in worship. But people who don't serve God, who don't love Jesus, they're turning to idols still. Even though all their idols are being smashed, they're still finding idols and they're turning away from God's love for them. You see that? They're turning away from Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins and rose again. They're turning away. Even though most of their idols are smashed, they're still looking and finding other idols. So we need to fill this vacuum with the gospel. This is the word on my heart for everyone, that we need to use this time to preach the gospel even more, even more on the internet, even more calling and texting family and friends, people we haven't talked to, even more reaching out with social media, TikTok. Um, TikTok, I know Libni and the 2 one loves to use TikTok, um, YouTube, whatever social media platform, Twitter, uh, Instagram, whatever you have, we need to be doing it even more now. Now let's turn to John 4, and you're going to see what Jesus says about this. Let's see what Jesus says. John 4, let's get into it. Man, I'm excited again, so fired up to be here. I can't even believe I'm preaching here, Lord. I'm seriously, when, when you're asking me about that, I'm like, oh, man, yeah, of course. You know, I'm, of course I'm ready for this. I'm so fired up. Okay, let's start in verse 27. Okay, this is the word right here. This is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. You know, when he tells her, hey, you've had four husbands, he, oh, what is it, four or five? And she's like, yeah, she's like, uh, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you had four or five. And he's like, you're a prophet. And this is after it. In the NIV, it's titled this section, the disciples rejoined Jesus. So they went to get food, and now they come back to talk to Jesus, and they find him at the well with the woman. Verse 27, just then, like, his disciples returned, and were surprised to find them talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They're surprised. Why are you talking to this woman right here? She's not even a Jew. Verse 28. Then why are you, excuse me. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So this woman's response is to go tell her whole town about Jesus. Is this the Messiah? Is this him? 
He tells, she tells the whole town. Verse 31, look at what happens when the disciples come in. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Come on, Jesus, get you some of that bread. Get you some fish. Come on, aren't you hungry, Jesus? Get you that, uh, that uh, Jerusalem subway sandwich. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. <laughs> he didn't tell this to sinners. He told this to disciples. Yeah, Jerusalem said, right? He told this to disciples. I got something. You Christians, you followers of me, you know nothing about. See, I tell that to the church, and you should be telling that. I got food y'all know nothing about. Some of you disciples on here may know nothing about this. Some of y'all don't know about this. But what is it that he's talking about? Jesus, what are you talking about? The disciples are like, what? But he said to them, excuse me, verse 33. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? See, disciples, they didn't even get it. Disciples like, someone sneak him a snack on the side or something? How is he, what is he talking about? I, you got food, Jesus? We're the ones that brought you food. And now you're saying you got food. I, I didn't know nothing right. It's all the, they don't, over there, they ain't understanding. Jesus says this in verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, I, my food, Jesus says, is to do the work of my father. What is that work, Jesus? What are you talking about? He answers them really quickly. They don't even ask, but here's the answer if they were thinking it. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the field. They are ripe for harvest. <laughs> so Jesus like, y'all disciples, you don't know about this. I know about this. It's to do the will of my father. And the will of my father is look at the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. For eternal life. Are you going to rape that harvest? Are you going to reap it for eternal life? We've done a lot of sowing. It's time to reap. Come on. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, come on, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. See, other people have done the hard work before us. People like Lauren, Joe, Berto, Jared, even before them, and even before them. Even before them, go back to John writing Revelation. Go back to these first disciples. We go back to them. Do you understand? We are reaping what they even sowed for, what Jesus sowed for. He says a kernel can't be, unless a kernel dies, it can't, it can't multiply. You understand that? So all the kernels, all those, the saints that have died for the gospel, whether being martyred or just giving their lives up and living for Jesus, they have reaped and now, we're, um, excuse me, they have sowed and now it's time to reap. Amen. We should still be sowing, but it's time to reap. Let me finish that. Let me go back a little bit, actually, and I'm going to finish this passage. We're going to jump to another passage. So Jesus says to disciples, I got food you disciples know nothing about. What's that food, Jesus? He's saying to witness and to preach the gospel. Isn't that what he just did for that woman? Isn't that what he just did? Show her that he's the Messiah? So disciples of Christ, there's food that some of you don't know nothing about. And that food is preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. I can attest to you that the hardest time in my walk with Christ was a time was a time when me and you used to do game ministry. And, bro, if you remember that time I messed up my leg and I didn't go out for a week or two, man, that was the hardest time in my Christian walk. Why? Because I was just getting spiritually fat, just eating there, sitting there, not preaching the word to any other sinners. And, and, and I got spiritually fat right there. And, man, it was tough. Because Jesus shows us right here, what should be our food to do the will of him who sent me to work the harvest fields. So we need to be working the harvest fields. You're having a tough time in your walk with Christ and you're still reading your Bible and praying and doing what God called you. To, you're probably missing out on this. You're probably missing out on working, excuse me, working the harvest fields. You're probably not doing that. And now you're struggling because of that you're missing the food that Jesus gave you. He's given that to you. Doesn't the Proverbs say the one who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed? Maybe why you're not refreshed is because you're not refreshing others with the simple gospel, the simple good news about Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again. My friends, listen, I've seen people get saved off me preaching for them for 15 seconds. I say, did you know Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again? Do you want to turn from evil ways and believe it? And I've had people say, yes, I do. Boom. It's the power of the gospel. Stop making it so difficult. Stop complicating it and making it about yourself. And, oh, I'm not sure if I could preach this and I don't have every answer. So what? No one has every answer. Preach the good news about Jesus Christ. And if there's something they ask about, well, then say I can study and come back to them. 
But most people, if you come to them humbly with the gospel, are going to listen to you. And then when the people get crazy, then that's when you have to get the rebuttals. But the first thing should be the gospel. It's very simple. Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again. Do you want to turn from your evil ways and believe in Jesus? That's simple, my friends. Be refreshed. Eat the food that Jesus has for you. Go work the harvest field. Pray, like my brother has said earlier, pray that you would be more creative in sharing the gospel, that God would use you on the internet or phone, whatever the case may be, but it's time to step up. Amen. The gospel is simple and I want to share it with some scriptures. I don't want to just be my words. Let's look at first Corinthians 15, three to four. See, I, I, I'm able to preach. I love preaching. And sometimes I like staying in a, in a chapter. Sometimes you got to jump around. There's nothing wrong with both of those. You see in the scriptures and the acts, they're jumping around. Peter's jumping around with different scriptures. Sometimes they hit a good passage. So you should be able to preach both ways. Preach a, a whole chapter, be able to jump around. You don't see Peter like, hey, Thomas, bro, throw me the notes for that sermon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? These brothers got filled with the Holy Ghost. They're ready. That's how you should be. You should be filled with the Holy Ghost. You know the scriptures. You're ready at all times. You don't see Peter doing that or Paul like, hold on, Barnabas, bro. Uh, I got to go fast for three days before I talk to these Ephesians. I don't know what to say to them. It's like, no, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. He knows the scriptures. Boom, let's go. That's how you should be. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 4. This is Paul speaking. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. So Paul's like, the first thing I received, I'm giving to you first importance. All right? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. My friends, that's, this, that's the gospel. It ain't power of your preaching. It ain't your relationship. It's not how good you are at being friends with people. It's you preaching this. It's you saying Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose, rose again. Come on. Stop making it about yourself and stop making it about I got to have this relationship with people. That should not be in the church. That, that shouldn't be us. Do you want a relationship? Of course we want a relationship with people. Of course we want that. But the, the first thing Paul says is I came and I preached to you. I didn't come in with words. I came in with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, doing miracles and preaching the word of God to you. This should be how our relationships are built on. There should not be a friend or family member that you have that your relationship is not built on the gospel first. Paul says the first thing I received, and that's the first thing I gave to you guys. So saints, that should be the first thing you give to other people. The good news about Jesus Christ. Go during this time. You're at home, most of you, right? Go, you're at home. Go reach to your family and friends. Reach out to them who you haven't preached to. And make this the, the foundation of your relationship. Yes, build relationships on God. Uh, that's a good one, bro. Build relationships on the gospel. Yes, that's what it should be built on, on the gospel. That's what the relationship should be built on. And stop trying to, it, it gets really weird because if you don't do it like that, then you become almost sneaky, like you're trying to sell them something, like you're trying to sell them uh, uh, some pyramid scheme and you're talking to them for three days and then you bring the gospel. So no, the gospel first, my friend. You want to believe this or not, and then you go from there. Now we're going to get into, we're going to stay for the most part into the book of Acts. And let's go to Acts 1.8. Come on, I love Acts 1A. You should love Acts 1A. This is our call. This is our Pentecostal call. Acts 1A and Acts 2, uh, where the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes. This is what our movement is built on. And it's not just like our movement. I should say this is what the church is built on since the beginning. Amen. It's not just like, oh, William J. Seymour in 1906 what, found some scripture that no one knew about. This has always been there. This is how we came about. This is how the disciples were more like us preaching the gospel boldly, doing miracles, speaking in tongues. They were more like us than some of the other Christians out there who aren't doing this. Come on. Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power. Come on, power. That's our word for dynamite. You receive dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. That's the word we use for martyrs. He's like, you will give your life up for me, whether literally someone killing you or you're giving up just every day of your life for me. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, God has given you power to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. I can tell you right now, I was saved. I was saved uh, June 26th or 27th. I wish I remembered the exact day. It was one of those two days, either that Wednesday or that Thursday. I got saved 2013. Uh, I felt the presence of God. I, I, I was born again. I was a new man. Uh, I, I, I left my life of sin behind. But I can tell you that I was still nervous to preach the gospel publicly and even to some family and friends. I still was doing it, but it wasn't as bold as I, you can see me now. And then uh, it was 
Jared, Nancy, Pastor Nancy, Pastor Jared, and Pastor Berto prayed for me in the office, and the power of God came. I started speaking in tongues. And I'll tell you what, before that, at the gathering Bible study, when it was the Govea Bible study, and I was going on Friday, right? I did not want to go early because I knew Berto and the bros was going to be out there preaching on the streets. <laughs> when I first got saved, I was like, man, I don't want to go early. Them boys going out there preaching. And they're not preaching like in the in the hood. They're preaching like a nice park with like moms in them and kids playing in the park. But I didn't want to go out there. I was nervous. I was saved. See, I'm like Peter. I was saved. But I didn't have the power to preach. But then after I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, without me even knowing these scriptures, because it was like a couple weeks after I got said, I didn't know that when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I would have power to preach. But immediately, almost immediately, that's what I started doing. Preaching boldly. Preaching boldly on the streets. And then when I seen the scriptures, I'm like, oh, wow, that's what happened in my life. I was pretty scared to, to preach the gospel boldly. But then when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I was like, oh, snap, I'm ready to go. And I have, and I can tell you, you read the book of Acts. I counted, I think, 110 plus times where these people who are filled with the Holy Ghost are preaching to non-believers. I would say that is the foundation of the book of Acts, preaching the gospel, fulfilling Acts 1-8 in the gospel. First couple of chapters, they're preaching Jerusalem, then they preach Judea and Samaria, and then they go to the ends of the earth. So Acts 1 through 28 is fulfilling Acts 1-8, what Jesus said. And they're baptizing the Holy Ghost, preaching boldly. And I've counted over 100 times them doing that. And then I would say the letters and everything after that is the discipleship. You see a lot more discipleship right there. It takes a lot of time to disciple people, right? The rest of the letters, right, from uh, uh, what's next? Romans all the way through Revelation is the Christians discipling those saved. And predominantly, most of them saved in the book of Acts. You see that? So book gospels new testament here's what i think about the new testament new testament the gospels g good news about jesus christ the book of acts them doing what jesus said and preaching the gospel and and winning uh, uh uh nations winning a lot of people and then the rest of it all the letters see it's a lot more you got to do a lot of work to discipleship we know that here but a lot of people don't know that you got to put in a lot of work the rest of it let me pull it up right the rest of it right here i'm gonna pull it up for you the rest of it about this much Right? Most of the New Testament is them discipling a lot of the saints that got one in the book of Acts. Come on. Now I want to take you all through uh, some character studies of some brothers uh, in the book of Acts. Okay, let's go to Acts 8, verse 4. You're going to see my brother Philip right here. First man God called him evangelist. Let's go to chapter 8, verse 4. I'm going to read it for you. Those who have been scattered, this is after Paul helps kill Stephen. Then the church scatters, except the apostles. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. See, where they preached the word, just in the synagogue or just on Sunday service with the saints? No, they preached the word wherever they went. So Philip is preaching wherever he goes. He's baptizing the Holy Ghost. He just became a deacon. I think he's going back to his hometown. Philip went down to the city in Samaria. Come on, and proclaim the Messiah there. What's Philip fulfilling? Acts 1.8. He's fulfilling Acts 1.8 right here. Proclaim the Messiah there. You see that? He proclaimed it. Did he go there, build relationships with them? And three months later, I'll come back and preach to y'all. I just want to be nice to you for three months, and I'll come back. Maybe I'll come back, God willing, if it's the Lord's will, and maybe I'll preach to you guys. No, <laughs> come on. He said he, they, he said he was proclaiming the Messiah there. Yuli, if you remember that time, we went to the Inglewood and we was preaching over in like 60-something in Halston. And I got this word, this word right here when we were driving over there. And then, and then I'm like, wow, they literally just, uh, uh, sorry, uh, not Stephen. Uh, Philip is literally just proclaiming the Messiah. And Yuli, if you remember, we got out there and we just started proclaiming Jesus is Lord. I mean, Jesus is King. And they're running away from us. We're walking, you remember, we walked up to that liquor store and them dudes walking away from us. I'm like, Jesus is Lord. So we got so encouraged by the scripture, we were just calling out the name of Jesus, and it's powerful. You'll see them flee, flee uh, like roaches in Jesus' name. They wanted them to hear, but they, didn't, they knew what was happening. Uh, but let's keep going. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs they, he performed. See, we should be performing signs too. Come on, step out in faith and believe God to use you to heal someone, to cast out a demon. They all paid close attention to what he said. See, what are they paying close attention to? How nice he was? How much food he gave them? The backpacks he gave them so they could do after school homework? No, to what he was saying. Come on. 
Those things are good. Like in Acts 6, we see them giving out food to all the widows in that. But the, the, the gospel is what's first and foremost. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Come on, some people don't want to start a church or a Bible study. They need 10 people. Philip went and flipped the whole town around. Do you understand that? He flipped the whole town around. Some of y'all scared to do that stuff? He goes by himself. I was in Cuba and I was preaching by myself. I had someone to interpret sometimes, but I was preaching by myself. I ain't got no problem with that. Come on. You say it's got to be, he sent them out two by twos. It's me and the Holy Ghost. I'm good. You understand that? I don't need an army to come with me. Come on. Philip flipped the whole town upside down. Don't use excuses. The Bible says later he, he had a wife and what does he have his wife? But we're assuming he had a wife because he had four unmarried daughters that prophesied. So he took care of his daughters. He had four, four daughters, more kids than most of us here. Except maybe for Lauren, right? I don't know what, Catherine, you got four, right? <laughs> I'm catching up. But he had four daughters that prophesied. So he took them and he raised them in the Lord. He didn't do wrong. And he's by himself flipping a town around. Goodness sakes, Lord, help us that we would do stuff like that. Stop. You don't want to take your whole, your block for Jesus? Philip took a whole to Samaria for Jesus. Man up. Come on. Let's keep going. Let's go actually to verse, yeah, let's keep going to verse 14. Let's go to verse 9 all the way to 14. Now sometime, um, Excuse me. Now, sometime later, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, look at this. So this guy is a false prophet, demonic witchcraft, and all this stuff. But it says, verse 12, that when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. See, what did Philip do there? He came doing miracles and preaching the word of God and preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. Come on. That's what he was doing over there. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Philip, again, guys, had a family Four daughters, no excuses. He's on his way home, I think, from coming from Jerusalem. And then he's preaching, flipping a whole town around. Come on. Seriously. And you don't want to take your neighborhood for Jesus, your family for Jesus? Step up, man. Win your family for Christ. Win your friends for Jesus. Win your neighborhood for Jesus, your school. If this guy does it by himself, could you imagine? Imagine this is my biblical imagination. I don't know if it's going to happen like this, but just imagine this. Imagine you're at the wedding feast of the lamb and, and Philip's sitting there across and, and Philip's sitting there across from you. You know, you're eating that good lamb and a good wine and you start talking. Yeah, my name's Philip, man. How you doing? Oh, my name's Jose. Nice to meet you, bro. I'm from Chicago. He's like, oh, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm from I think it's Caesarea or Century where he's from. Yeah. Oh, you're Philip. Are you Philip from Acts 8? He goes, yeah, I'm Philip from Acts 8, man. I was doing the thing for Jesus. I flipped the whole town around. And, and, and he goes, what do you do for Jesus? And you're like, well, you know, I, you know, I, I posted a little stuff here on Facebook here and there. But uh, I was nervous. I didn't have enough people to go to the next town or to my neighborhood. You know, I, it was tough for me. I, I had to pray about it and stuff. And you start scratching your head. And <laughs> Philip just gives you a look like, bro, I flipped that whole town around with the Holy Ghost. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know that's going to happen, but could you imagine something like that, though? Could you imagine something like that where we meet these saints and we share our stories? Come on, I don't want to be ashamed in front of the brothers and sisters. Let's stay in Acts 8, and let's jump to 26. I want to keep going to Philip. In the middle there, you're going to see, um, I think it's James and John come and set order there to help people get baptized in the Holy Ghost. And they actually come back from there, and they're preaching the word of God. But I want to keep on Philip right here. I want you to get to verse 26 right here. Verse 26, same chapter. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road and desert road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip's on his way home, I believe. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopia, some kind of political treasure, I guess, something along those lines. This man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Come on, this is a Holy Ghost setup right here. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip's on his way home. The Holy Spirit says, go this way. He sees this Ethiopian eunuch. Guy might have had a big carriage with horses. You know, he has money. It could have been a, 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 a obviously he had some kind of um, political position. So he probably had, you know, an entourage with him, I'm, I'm assuming. 
But I want you to see here how Philip responded when the Holy Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The, excuse me. Then Philip ran up. Come on, let's say ran up together. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. See, when God calls you to do it, this is something I'm actually teaching my kids. When I tell you to do something, do it right away, honey. Do it right away. When the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, you know it's him. Boom. You should do it right away. You should run up. You should, this should be said about you. When the Holy Spirit told Julie, when the Holy Spirit told Yolis, run up. When he told you to go over there, you ran up there. Come on, when he tells you to do it, run up there. Do you understand? This is uh, Philip talking to Ethiopian eunuch. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? The Ethiopian responds, unless someone explains it to me. Holy Ghost set up. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of a descendant's first life was taken from the earth? So that's the passage of scripture that the eunuch is reading. Then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, Philip, right? Tell me please. I don't know if you even knew his name. Who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Holy Ghost set up. Come on. Then Philip began, look at what Philip does. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Woo! That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. We should take any, we should be able to take any scripture and bring it back to the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You should be able to take any life situation and bring it back to the gospel. You should be able to take in, you could even take godless movies, Superman and Batman, whereas a hero, oh, you like Superman and Batman. Let me tell you about the real son of God who came from another planet, who came from heaven to die on a cross for your sins. You should be able to take all these love stories. Let me tell you about the one who really loves you. Girl, you're looking for a man that's going to be there for you 24-7. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's the real one that loves you, right? That notebook garbage, that section man. Let me tell you about the real man who wants to marry you, who loves you. So we should be able to take scriptures. We should be able to take movies and life situations and bring it back to the gospel. Verse 36, let's keep going. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, there's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again. But went on his way rejoicing. The Holy Ghost gave him a little teleportation right there, right? Goes from one place to another. I tell my kids, we come back, you know, we might be walking through walls, teleporting. I'm telling the water, I'm telling the, 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 the weather what to do. And so they're, they're like, well, I'm like, yeah, honey, it's going to be something like that, like Jesus and like Philip. Verse 40, I want you to see this right here. Philip, however, appeared to Azotos. And traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Assyria. I believe that's where he's from. And, and later we see the brothers going there, brothers and sisters going there. And they said that's where he has four married daughters. So that's where he's from. So he's coming back from a Sunday service. Probably took him some days to get back. And he's preaching wherever he goes. He's flipping Samaria upside down. He got baptized in the Holy Ghost. He's flipping Samaria up and down, uh, upside down for Jesus or right side up for Jesus. And even as he's going home, he's preaching in all the towns. So that's like me and Oscar, good news, who's my bro, go down. We're preaching in Florida, and then we're driving on the way back home, and everywhere we go, we're preaching the good news too. Come on. Isn't that awesome? Even as he's doing all these things, he's still preaching. You can see his mind set on that. You can see his mind set on the gospel. So we just looked at Philip. I want to look at Paul, but I feel the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell you this real quick, and I want you to see this getting played out in the disciples' life. And then ask yourself, is this my heart, is this, excuse me, is this being played out in my life? Go to Acts 20, 24 before we go take a look at Paul. Let's look at Acts 20, 24. I got to memorize, but I want to make sure I don't miss a word. We'll actually go verse 23 just to get a little context right here. Or verse 22, even better. Verse 22 of Acts 20. And now, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, Paul talking, not knowing what will happen to me there. He's like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. See that? Would you keep preaching if that's what the Holy Ghost told you? Told you? All you're going to face, Paul, all you're going to face, Catherine, Lawrence, all you're going to face is hardships in prison. Would you keep preaching, Salem? Would you? Would you keep preaching? I would. And look what Paul says right here. However, verse 24, this is it right here. This is a bomb right here. Come on. 
You can live your life off this scripture right here. Just this scripture alone, you can almost live your life on. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Paul says, my life is nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What is that task, Paul? What is it that you're saying it's worth nothing? I'll give it all up for this. He says, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. <laughs> is that your life? Is that your life? Come on, is that your life? Your only aim is to testify to the good news of God's grace. Your only aim is to preach the gospel. Your only aim is to share this gospel to the nations. Is that? I know that was Philip's aim. It's pretty obvious that was Philip's aim wherever he went. He was preaching. Is that your aim? Now, it's not that they're super Christian. I'm a super Christian. I'm a normal Christian. This is normal Christianity. You're weird if you don't do this. This is what the scriptures say. If you don't preach wherever you go, it's not that I'm better than you. I'm just normal. You're weird. You're the weird cousin, man. That's you. You're the weird uncle. You're the weirdo. I'm living like Jesus. I'm living like Philip. I'm living like Paul and Apollos and all these bros and sisters. You're the one not living right. This is normal Christianity. You're the weird one. I follow scriptures. You don't. I'm doing it right. You're not doing it right. Come on. Now, let's look at Paul, our brother Paul right here. Let's look at verse, uh, or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 19. And just so you get a little background on Paul, when Paul says, my life is nothing to me, it means nothing. I, I, I give it all up for Jesus. It's not like Paul was a poor beggar in Jerusalem. It's not like Paul was a, a nobody in that time. You see what I'm saying? It's not like he was a... a, a a homeless guy and, and had no job. And well, oh, it's easy for you, Paul. You don't have nothing. You give it all up. Paul says in the scriptures, I was a Jew, Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. And I heard it said somewhere that his education might have been equivalent to two PhDs. Do you even know anyone who has two PhDs? I don't. He, it's, I heard it said that he had, it would have been like one of us having two PhDs. This dude was a braino, super smart, the Jew of Jews. He said, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. He's like, ain't nobody more zealous than me. I was trying to destroy the whole church. And even Jesus prophesied about, about uh, uh, Paul and Muslims and other people like that who persecute us now. He says, there are going to be people who want to kill you, and they're going to be doing it because they think they're offering a service to God. Isn't that not what Paul did? Do you think Paul was worshiping demons? And drinking the blood of animals and raping people and killing people like, I, I'm a devil worshiper. I'm going to kill these Christians. No, he thought he was doing it for Jesus. Isn't that what Muslims do? They think they're doing it for God. So Paul was zealous for the laws. Paul was on fire for, for, for the Torah on these things. But he failed to see Jesus. But now when he gets saved, he's like, my life was nothing to me. So he probably was more honored in his own uh, religious sect or his own religious uh, uh, community than many of us are honored wherever we're at in our families, jobs, or even a church. So he is super honored right there, right? He's under a great teacher. So when he's literally saying, I give it all up, he's given up probably more than most of us will ever give up. All the things that he had and the notoriety and things like that. He's literally saying, that means nothing to me. I'd rather preach this glorious gospel. Let's go to Acts 9, 19. Whew, I'm fired up for Jesus, amen? This is soon after Paul gets saved, okay? It's not like Paul was like, hey, you know what, guys? I just got saved. Give me like three months, maybe six. I got to pray and fast. And then maybe he prays for three days, right? But, and then maybe I'll go do what Jesus called me to do. Later he says, I'm not a, I was not disobedient to the vision, right? To the vision God gave him when Jesus meets him and tells him to go preach. Okay, let's see what Paul does pretty much three days after he encounters Christ and gets saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 19 says this. Um, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Come on. So he was on his way to Damascus to persecute them. Now he gets saved on his way to Damascus, and he's over there with the brothers right there. This is three days after uh, he, he has that encounter with Jesus. At once, look at that, at once. He began to preach in his synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. <laughs> At once, come on, that was his response to being saved and spending time praying. His response was to go preach in the synagogues, to go to the Jews, to go to his own people and say, Jesus is the son of God. Let's keep going. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, he the man 
who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. Come on, are you growing more and more powerful? Get more and more power for Jesus. Come on. And baffle the Jews living in the masses. What did he do to, to baffle them? Look at this right here. He's growing more and more powerful. They're like, what is going on? This guy used to hate these guys. Now he's one of them. They're mind blown. What is going on? And, and how does he baffle them? How does he baffle these Jews in Damascus? By proving that Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> Using the scriptures, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you do that? Do you prove that Jesus is God through the scriptures? Can you prove through the scriptures that Jesus is the savior of the world? Come on, you better be able to do that. You better be able to do that and baffle people. Let's keep going. Oh, no, sorry. Let's, let's, let's stop right there for, for Paul. So let's look at Paul's life real quick. Let's make it real quick. Uh, uh, thinks he's a man of God, right? Under the Torah, under the law. Thinks he's better than everyone. Probably has super smart brain, knows scriptures. Probably memorized a ton of scriptures from the Old Testament. Help killing Christians. Think he's doing it for Jesus. Uh, circumcised eight day, Jew, Jews, you know. Gets saved. Says, I, read, I gave up everything for Jesus. Even before he says that, the first thing he does is go preach to the Jews. The first thing he does is preach to those in the, in the same place where he was going to go kill or help imprison Christians. He had a letter to help imprison them. The same place he goes there preaching. He goes there preaching. That same place where you used to go sin and want to do wickedness, go preach to them. Go preach to your friends. I preached to my friends who were gangbangers. I preached to them. Moan, I preached to the people I had relationships with, told them to repent and believe the good news about Jesus Christ. Use this time to do that. Be wise and use this time to do things like that. He was going to Damascus to help persecute Christians in sin. God saves him. He goes to Damascus to go preach the gospel. <laughs> Glory to God. Come on, I'm fired up. Let's look at our brother Apollos right here. Apollos in Acts 18, verse 24. Whew, help me, Lord. This is fun. I'm having fun. See, this is what I was saying in John 4. This is what Jesus said. See, I'm getting filled right now. I'm, I'm eating right now. I'm not even eating lunch right now. This is my lunch right now. <laughs> this is my lunch right now. I'm getting filled right here. Acts 18, verse 24. Oh, come on, Jesus. Verse 24, let's go. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, not a fool. This guy was smart. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. Do you get fired up when you speak? You don't always have to be fired up. That's weird when someone's always yelling the whole time. You need to be able to use different tones and stuff like that. But he spoke with great fervor. Uh, I think it was Pastor Joe sharing with me how uh, David Wood, who does a lot of ministry to Muslims, says that they don't respect when Christians don't get fired up because they get fired up and they're like, how come y'all not fired up? Because uh, aren't you believing what you're saying? So it's like when uh, when uh, American Christianity is like, well, you know, we, we don't want to argue with you and we just want to be nice and we don't want anyone to get fired up. And, and, and Muslims don't respect that, friend. <laughs> they don't respect that. They're thinking you're some kind of coward and you don't believe what you believe. We need to get fired up. Okay. And you're going to see it right here in the scriptures. He spoke with great fervor and, and taught about Jesus accurately. Excuse me. Let's talk. Let's teach about Jesus accurately. Though he only knew the baptism of John. <laughs> Come on. He only knew about the baptism of John and those things. He knew less than you. He knew less than me and you. We know more than the baptism of John. Yet he spoke with great fervor and he taught about Jesus accurately. He began to speak boldly in the synagogues. Come on. Does this say that? Uh, I know it says he's a learned man, so he's smart, but we know more. We probably know more about Jesus. I'm pretty sure we know more about Jesus. We know more in the baptism of John than him. And he's still speaking boldly in the synagogues. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, this is not Priscilla, my daughter, right? But this is what I named her after. Uh, heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So Priscilla and Aquila, like, man, this brother's on fire. Let me help him out. He'll about the baptism of John that are teaching him. This could write, you could go into right here so many different sermons, how women are even teaching men right here. Uh, but let's not get into that right now. Verse 27 says, when Apollos to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. 
When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. So he wants to go to this place. The brother and sister like write a letter ahead of him, right? Maybe like, look, like we would send a text, hey, receive this brother, receive this brother Marco, he's good. Receive Amy and David, they're good. You know, let them come into the fellowship, let them preach and things like that. And it says that he was a great help to them. For to those who had believed, and excuse me, to those who by grace had believed, okay? What is this great help? What is this help that Apollos did there? What was the great help that he did there? It says verse 28. Look at verse 28. Come on, this will blow a lot of people's mind. A lot of Bible college students, y'all got to get this in your heart. This will blow your mind. This will change the way you look at preaching right here. Verse 28. Apollos, how did you help them? How were you a great service to the church there? Here it goes. For he vigorously, look at that, vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debates, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. You see that? How did he help the church there? By just being nice to everyone and praying? No, it says he refuted vigorously, getting fired up. Can you imagine he's fired up, refuting his Jewish opponents in public debate? This is not a side conversation. It wasn't, let me just Facebook message this guy. Maybe we could talk on the side. I don't want to get too fired up and make a big deal about it. What did he do? He vigorously refuted them in public debate, proving from the scriptures, using the Bible, that Jesus is the Messiah. You want to be a great help to MPI Church and the church around the world? Be doing this. Be found doing this. Be found doing this. Be found vigorously refuting your opponents in public debates. Be found doing these things. Proving from the scriptures, proving from the word of God that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world. Come on. Do you want to help the church? Do you? Do this. Do what Jesus did here. So people can look at, you can see it on the internet. People give Joe a hard time sometimes and like somehow the, uh, 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 like the Joe's like a super apostle. No, Joe is a normal apostle. <laughs> Joe is the normal one. You're weird for not wanting to do these things. You understand? You're weird for now. He did these things. He preached boldly. He argued vigorously. He refuted his public, uh, his opponents in public debate. They probably preached to people on the side. They did it all. It's not one or the other. It's both. So when you're preaching the gospel, be ready to do all of these avenues. Do not be scared of one or the other. Be ready to do all of them. And I want to close right here with Acts 18. Let's go to Acts 18. Same, oh, excuse me, we're right there right now, Acts 18. Now, this has been a word I've been sharing for about a week here and there, different places, and, and I really feel this is a word for us right now. This is a word at all times, obviously, but this is what um, I'm really feeling for the church right now, and not just us, MPI, every church, every Christian should be doing this. I want to go back to what I said in the beginning, where, where, where we've had... Like Lauren said to me, or said in the prayer meeting, the idols of America have been smashed. They've been judged, right? Most people are stripped of many of their idols. They're still finding idols. There's this great vacuum there. What are you going to do to fill that vacuum? If you don't fill it, they're going to be like how Jonah said in chapter two. They're going to be worthless and keep going other idols. So God has to judge the idol of education. They'll find another idol. You understand that? We need to fill that vacuum with the word of God. We need to be still wanting to Preach the gospel to sinners and win them to Christ and start discipleship now. Do it through the internet for us, to, uh, for us deacons and you and a two-one. Make that as a goal for yourself that if we have to quarantine for two years, you're not going to stop doing ministry. You're going to do more ministry. You're going to be more preaching. You're going to be doing more discipleship. Let's look at this verse right here. When, when it hit me, man, it was so powerful when the Lord spoke to me. This is a powerful word for the church right now. Acts 18, verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Come on, God will speak to you in a vision, in a dream. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. Woo! You received that? Come on, that's the word for everyone in the church at all times, but especially now. And sadly, I see a lot of Christians doing opposite of this. Do an opposite. They don't know what to say. It's like, dude, share the scriptures. What are you doing? Why are you not preaching on your internet platform? You can't go outside. Why are you not doing this? See, the pandemic, I was talking to my wife earlier, and when people are acting crazy right now, it's not that 
uh, uh, the pandemic made them like that. I don't think for at least for most cases. All this this is doing is exposing what was in their heart already. You see that? So if someone acts crazy now, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go nuts. It's not that it's not that the pandemic might have directly made them nuts, although it could have influenced it. I understand that. But it's just showing what was in your heart already. So when I see people not sharing scriptures or using this time to preach and to pray, I'm like, dude, what were you doing this whole time? What were you doing? What in the world is in your heart that you don't take this serious, that you don't use this as a time to preach the gospel and to disciple people? I don't understand. What were you doing this whole time? Why? Why? This is this is not that the pandemic stopped you from doing this. They said you've always had this in your heart and now it's bubbling up. Now, you see that? It's just exposing what is already in your heart. So if you're at you and you're not taking it serious to share the good news about Christ, like I shared in 1 Corinthians 15, it's very simple. Simple gospel. Christ died on the cross for your sins. Rose again, repent and believe this. If you're not using this time to disciple people, even if you're not a deacon, you can still be speaking the word of God and training people and then sending them to one of us deacons and elders to do it. Come on. I don't understand. Do you guys have friends? Do any of y'all have friends and family? <laughs> do you know people? Do any of you guys know anybody? Does any saints here know anybody? Like, come on. You understand what I'm saying? Does anyone here know anybody? Let's get out there and preach the word. I want to read this again. And I was talking to my brother yesterday. He's like, bro, you got a word for me? I was like, yeah, I got you one tomorrow. <laughs> Here's that word again, man. Acts 18, verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, Metro Praise International Church around the world. Do not be afraid of this pandemic. Do not be afraid of human beings. Stop fearing men. Keep on speaking the word of God. Don't be silent, for I am with you. Jesus is with you. Come on. He promised in Matthew 28 and 20. He'll be with us if you preach and make disciples. Do you want to be with Jesus? Brian Habaki said, if you follow Jesus, Jesus follows you. Come on. He said that, Reinhard Bonnke said, if you follow Jesus, I love this, Jesus follows you. And he's referring to Matthew 16, 15 to 20, where Jesus says to go preach the gospel to all creation. And then it says that Jesus confirmed this word by the signs that accompanied it. He confirmed their preaching by the miracles, signs and wonders that they were doing. See, if you're really following Christ, Christ is following you. Like I was saying earlier, you don't need 10 people to go do ministry. The Holy Ghost is with you. He's with you when you're with your family and your friends. Why not heal the sick in your household? Someone gets sick, boom, let's believe for healing ministries to rise up during this time. He says you'll place your hands on sick people and get, get well, and they will get well. Don't you have that opportunity now? Don't you have the opportunity now just to pray for someone and they would get healed? Jesus said a word and they would get healed and they would come back to their, I think it was a sick son. And he said, whoa, what time did you get healed? And he says, I think like 12 or 1 p.m. And he said he realized that was the time that Jesus gave him the word and his son would be healed. You could pray for someone and then get healed through the internet. Do you understand that? Because Jesus can touch them anywhere. His hand can go over there. So understand that this needs to be our response right now. This needs to be your response. This needs to be your response. Stop being scared. Fear God, not human beings. Fear God, not human beings. And I'll just correct this, and then God will move pray right now. People like to say about the fear of God that is somehow, you probably heard this many times, that it's somehow like you reverence for your father, like the way you respect your dad or an elderly man or woman, something along those lines. That's not the scriptures, my friends. You're not, my daughter should not fear me to say, fear God the same way she looks at me. That's wrong. That would be wicked. Let's look at what Jesus said. What did Jesus say the fear of God is? It's not just to have respect in all of your father, although we should respect God and honor him, but it's more than that. Like how Joseph teaches us, the, the fear of God is what Jesus said. Don't fear human beings who can only kill your flesh, but fear God who after killing you could send you to hell. See, that's the fear of God. There's no fear of God, though, man. There are very little fear of God in many Christians right now. It's like you're fearing human beings. You're scared more about people we're going to say. You better fear God who's going to hold you accountable to Ezekiel 33 when he says, if you don't want a wicked man that God's going to have, a, uh, you're going to have to give an account for your, uh, his blood on your hands. You know that? Ezekiel 33 says, I, I made you a watchman, Ezekiel, son of man. You better tell a wicked person. If God says to, to Ezekiel, if I tell a wicked man he's going to surely die, you, and you don't warn him and persuade him to, to turn from his wicked ways, then he will die for his sins, but I will hold you accountable. You see that? See, you better fear God. God is going to hold you accountable if you don't witness to the people in your circle. Okay? You don't have to come to my circle to witness to him. I'm going to do it. Are you, 
I'm not coming to Yuli Circle, Oscar Circle, Astro Circle. That's your circle of family and friends. That's your job. You need to witness to them and win them for Christ. You need to witness to them and bring them into discipleship. That's your job. Now, if they don't do it, like it says in Ezekiel 33, well, then their blood is on their own, their blood is on their own hands. They'll die for their sins, but you have saved yourself, like it says in Ezekiel 33. So we need to fear God and do this. We need to fear God, not be scared of human beings, step up, preach the word of God, and make disciples. Come on, let's pray. Whew. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just thank you, God, for your word. I think about how the early disciples, God, didn't have scriptures in their phones, on them all the time, and Bibles physically, and all over the place. God, we have no excuse, oh God. We have no excuse not to hide your scriptures in our heart. We have no excuse not to lean on your word. It's all over the place, God. Internet, phones. Uh, right in front of us, books, devotionals, posters. We got uh, uh, pictures on a wall of scriptures. Yet the disciples didn't have most of that, if not any, and they were preaching around the nations. So, Lord, I ask for forgiveness for your church. Being lukewarm, being scared of human beings and not fearing you and not preaching your word and making disciples of all the nations. Have mercy on us. If any of us here have done it within our local church and your church around the world, God, if we haven't, Fulfill the scripture. I know a lot of us have, and I could see it on the way they live their life. So, God, we repent and we return to our first love. We return to you, God, and to the call you gave us to preach the gospel to all creation and to make disciples of all nations. Not one or the other, but two sides of the same coin. Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here at MPI, all over, all the SUM, all the Bible colleges, all the churches still meeting, all the brothers and sisters around the world, our brothers getting persecuted, literally dying. For Christ, God, that you would encourage them. We remember them, God. Strengthen them. And all the churches would repent of this lukewarmness and to do what you call them to do, to preach and make disciples. And, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, the baptism, and the power to do it. You didn't leave us as orphans. You've given us the power to do it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.